Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Rock on Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 285 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have regular contributor, writer, community activist, baker, and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell Burbank. And we talked to Kitty Bell about the power of firsthand experiences, an art exhibit she went to see at the Carnegie Museum of Art in Pittsburgh and how it affected her, about a few homeless addicts she crossed paths with at a local park in her town, and how it inspired some writing. We talk about a whole host of things such as selfishness and fear and uh, reconnecting with one's self. It's good stuff. Kitty Bell Burbank this week. We also have an EW essay titled Soliloquy and an essay by the great Joan Didion titled Guemas Sonora and a poem called Marquez. And as is always the case, all of this will be infused, imbued with the energy of several great tunes. Hey, Vermont. Hey, Maine. New Hampshire. Hey, New York City. Hey, Scranton, Pennsylvania, and the Pocono Mountains. Washington State. All across this great continent. And pretty much every continent on the face of the earth right now, we have people listening. It is inspiring to us at Troubadours and Rock On Tours. And hopefully we're giving you something that you truly enjoy. Let's get to it, why don't we? Episode 285 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours. Got 
Soliloquy. Hello, how are you? Me? I guess I'm fine. I am somewhat turned around and the upside is down. I have been acting pretty selfish as of late. You know, impatient, concerned most about my wants and needs, regardless of how the behavior I exemplify affects others. I know this is happening that I am certainly guilty, and I indeed do feel guilty. But what can I do to change what I have already done? Also, it seems to me the self-loathing is an exercise in self-indulgence, not really beneficial to any other. I need clarity. I need peace and quiet sometimes. Other times I need careless abandon to dance and talk with a larger community. I hope I am not some sort of shallow individual who is lost in a limited, circular cycle, steeped primarily in impulses and reactions of the kind from those far-off adolescent years. O.M.G. A middle-aged Generation Xer, still bent on being a rock star who gets all the chicks, the attention and adulation of his peers, and one who could knock back a significant number of beers. Oh, shite, it just might be my self-important, middle-aged, beaten-down, soulless soliloquy. Praise be to you, my friends and family, and to our larger community, and praise be to me, of course, so that I may more deeply, thoughtfully, and without remorse, understand how to be. Chambers of my heart 
Kitty Bell Burbank, is that you? Yes. Well, thank you so much for picking up the phone to be with us here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours once again. I'm out for a walk, actually. I thought I heard some wildlife. Is it disruptive? Uh, no. No, it's not disruptive. Yeah, I, I like okay. it. I like it. Oh, good. I could go home, but... I wanted to walk. I gave blood today. You gave so, blood? So, yeah. 
so I can't go to the gym. Ah, uh, but you, you know? can walk. I think so. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> they said no vigorous exercise. They didn't say I couldn't go for a walk. Well, just in case you, you go down, where are you so I can direct, you know, the authorities? I'm headed toward Cathedral Cemetery. Oh, boy. Okay. We, and, and that's in uh, the west side of town? Yeah. I made sure I got up the hill before the phone rang because that's the part where you, like, even when you're in, like, good shape, you still lose your breath. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good one, I can tell. Ladies no and gentlemen, heavy breathing. No heavy breathing. <laughs> people that tune in in the mid-range, middle of the conversation will wonder why. Uh, but... Um, Ladies and gentlemen, this is our regular contributor on the program, writer, community activist, baker and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell Burbank. And uh, Kitty wants to talk about several things. We had a, uh, a text exchange earlier uh, in the week, and uh, the power of firsthand experiences is one of the things you want to get into. I do. Um, this is not something that's new to me, obviously. I studied theater uh, for heaven's sake, because I like it live, you know? So, but I was in Pittsburgh for my grad school residency and we had like two free days. We spent a few days in West Virginia. We saw six plays in two days. We went back to Pittsburgh and we had the weekend free. I was like, what am I going to do, <laughs> you know, that I can't do in Scranton? So um, one of the fun things about being a student is you get free admission to all kinds of stuff, including the Carnegie Museums. So I went to the Carnegie Museum of Art. I found that they were having an exhibit of art after uh, 1945. And it was new, new exhibit, not new work. And I went and... I saw things that I loved, but never saw in person. And I like stood in front of a Joan Mitchell painting and cried. <laughs> it was a really weird experience. Like I should know, right? It was uh, the singer you mean? No, not Joni Mitchell. Cause she paints too. Does she? Yeah. Oh, she's a great painter. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Joan Mitchell is a abstract expressionist artist who, if I was pressed, I would say this is who my favorite artist is. Um, I was just reading because I knew that I was going to have to talk about her a little bit and I didn't want to be as ignorant as I feel. <laughs> I mean, I just have a visceral reaction to her art. I, I just, I love it. I never really got too deep into why or whatever, you know? And uh, they call her part of the second generation of abstract expressionists, which apparently is an insult because she's a girl, you know, and she was painting alongside all the guys at the same time. It's not derivative work. She wasn't inspired by them, but they call her second generation anyway. Just because she's a girl. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, some of the male contemporaries, who would they have been? Do you know? Oh, de Kooning, you know, um, even Rothko, early Rothko, Pollock, all those guys that uh, Klein from Wilkes-Barre, you know, mm -hmm. 
that we're doing mm-hmm. abstract expressionism. I mean, and I probably found her work in the first place because I was probably seeking out women artists. Um, like one of those things where they say, how many women in this group can you name? And you're like, oh my God, I, I don't know. <laughs> Not enough. You know, I need to do some research. So that's probably how I even found her. But, um, you know, I've had her work as wallpaper on my computer. Like, I've just, she's my favorite. And I didn't even think about whose work is going to be in the exhibit. I was just like, this sounds really cool. You know, I like modern and contemporary art. That's UPS driving by. I heard the dog Um, barking, too. Yeah. (laughs) Ambient Scranton. (laughs) Um, and low water is, it's bigger than me, you know, in both directions. And I, I just, it, it just overpowered me. I, I couldn't believe how much energy I felt coming from it. And like it, like I started crying. The guard is looking at me, you know, and, um, and part of it was, the power of the painting itself. But then another part of it was just that I was in a place, I guess, in my life that I was getting to see a work by one of my artist role models, not on the computer, but actually firsthand in a, in a museum. Yeah. And I get that. It was just a really powerful moment for me. And for as much as I'm, you know, telling people you have to do things in real life. I I don't even know if I do it enough myself. And I really almost sort of set a goal that I need to, you know, find these, these experiences and, and find a way to have them, make a point of having them because it's, it's, it's completely different to see something like that in, be in the same space with it. Because, again, she is somebody you've always looked to as an artist, as, a, uh, as, you know, as an important inspiration, sort of, or uh, just the piece itself spoke Both, to. Yeah. What was so great, besides the size, I guess that was sort of um, impressive. Yeah. What, what about the piece really struck you? Well, I mean, if you think about... It's called abstract expressionism for a reason, right? It's, it's expressing some sort of emotion. And I don't know if, you know, I necessarily had the emotions that Joan Mitchell intended or that she was feeling, but I, I you know, had an emotional, visceral reaction to, like I said, just the energy of, of it, the colors and the, the way things were placed in relationship to each other and the, um, the art of it. I understand. I, I, I do. I've been affected like that as well. And it's an abstract piece, so it doesn't have a clear, I, I suppose, uh, definition to it, or the artist doesn't share that, at least. Do you remember the title? Did you say the title? I don't recall. Yeah, it's uh, called Low Water Low Water from 1969. And, you know, I just tried to find a picture on the computer, and I found, like, two, 
and they don't do it justice at all. The, the picture I took on my camera on my cell phone is better <laughs> than the ones I found. Um, so that says something too. But then like there was other work there too. There was a whole wall of Gorilla Girls posters. Um, I saw a Louise Bourgeois, who's another one of my favorite artists. Um, saucy little French lady. And, we, and she sold works, well, now her works are worth millions of dollars. And I'm standing right in front of one of them. It's, um, I could walk in a circle around it, not just look at pictures on the computer. And um, it, was, it was really important. So I don't know, I, I just wanted to talk about that because it was such a profound experience. Also, I, I watched uh, Bruce Connors' Crossroads, which is this film uh, of the Bikini Atoll atom bomb testing shot from different angles, kind of like spliced together with music. So it's just bomb explosion after bomb explosion, mushroom clouds, and you go in this room, it's just a screen, and there's a little white bench you can sit on, and it just plays. And when was this, uh, when was this created? Uh, 1976. And it was Bruce... Connor. Yeah, I think... I, I've heard about this film, but I've never seen it. So uh, was, was, that, was it scary? Was it powerful? And, and, and it was really powerful. Beautiful at all? Could you say it was beautiful? Yes. Yeah, I, I started writing about it. Um, and part of me knew, like, as I was watching it, that this was something that I was going to, an experience I was going to give to one of my characters someday. <laughs> and I was thinking about that, too, because... The things that it's the things that I see and experience in real life that find its way into my work. It's very rarely something I see on TV or that finds its way into my characters. So I was thinking about that too. Just the 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 experiences are so much more powerful when they happen to us rather than hearing about somebody else talk about them or something. Oh my God! Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, and, and and your work is much more powerful, much more poignant. I would imagine, given the effect that a real experience would have on your writing, on what you're creating. Yeah, I mean, and that sounds so simple and obvious. But yeah, but it it, <laughs> it doesn't always happen, though. You know, people experience things every day. Obviously, <laughs> they're alive, but not many people can poignantly, artistically express them in a, a work of, of uh, whether it be fiction or, or, or not, something that's mm -hmm. staged or something that's put between two covers in a book and, and uh, that draws a hu another human being in and, and affects them. I guess so. I, I, I think anybody can do it. They just don't, <laughs> uh, which might be... Uh wrong thinking on my part but well more people can probably do it than do uh, yeah i would agree yeah. but i don't know that everybody can do it well yeah, they're not called to maybe it's just not any more than i'm gonna go out and i don't know what yeah you know, i was we... gonna say play basketball this afternoon but i don't really maybe that could be fun 
Yeah, but how good would you be? How... I'm not supposed to vigorously exercise today. Yeah, you gave blood. That's right. <laughs> so this this uh, experience at the Pitt- Pittsburgh uh, Museum, the Carnegie uh, Museum uh-huh. of Art, was was uh, significant for you while you're out uh, in Pittsburgh uh, doing some work for your your graduate degree. Yeah, I've had moments like that at key experiences, and maybe like they're like when you're traveling or you feel like you're at a a, a mile post in life or something when you're seeing yourself have the experience or I know when I went to Los Angeles for the NEA fellowship that I was on for arts journalism, we went to the ocean one day, we went to Balboa Island and it was the first time I had been at the Pacific ocean since I was a little girl, since we left California when I was uh, seven years old and just stepping into the water was this, really like weird moment where I felt my life go for a full circle, you know, where here I was back at this place again and in, you know, an important moment. And I think part of it was cause I had worked to get there. You know, I did something for myself, which I wasn't really good at for a long time, you know, always being the mom or, you know, doing what other people want from you or expect for you. It was, you know, a thing that I did for me. And, um, you know, I was going to see plays and it was, it was wonderful, (laughs) you know, and it, it, that became a really profound moment. Just, you know, just putting my feet in the water. Yeah. Yeah. All that it represented the reconnection and, and the years that have trend that have uh, passed since the last time you were there. Yeah. And like, I literally had to go there for that moment to be able to happen from the East coast. Just, yeah. Across I could just imagine it, you know, like, Oh, that would be cool. Like it's not actually happening. It, it's one of those things where you, it's the doing of it, the act of it, that without it, there's no significance. The journey there. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Kitty Bell Burbank, I think, the way you um, experience life is telling, you know, you, you are not normal in many ways. (laughs) But yeah, exactly. I meant it as a compliment. Um, You know, you are an artist for, for sure. Uh, And other, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, a philosopher in there as well. And, and they're all they cross over a lot of these these different types of um, uh, personality uh, traits or what have you. Yeah, you're. I, I like the way you're explaining your experiences, and uh, it's. I can't wait to see some of this stuff uh, transform itself into a character in a in a in a play. Right, which is a good segue. Yeah, yeah. All you want to talk about. The uh, TV pilot, is that where you want to go? Or do you want to talk about the homeless addicts that you met recently in a... They blend together, see? Okay, okay. (laughs) Let's do it. So I go to these meetings regularly. And um, we meet in the park on Sunday at 7 a.m. So this week, of course, I was late. um, And... We, you know, get there, we walk up to the pavilion and everyone's standing instead of sitting at the picnic 
picnic tables like usual. And I was like, why is everyone standing? And then you see that there's people sleeping on top of one of the picnic tables. And uh, we're having a meeting right around them. (laughs) Um, Because that's, I guess, you know, what what made sense to everyone. We weren't going to move the meeting, um, you know, and, and these people had a, a bottle of pills like right next to the table. So, you know, you thought maybe they could benefit from this meeting <laughs> if they happened to wake up. So maybe this is what was supposed to happen. You know, these people were supposed to wake up and find themselves in the middle of a meeting. Did they, and, did they wake yes. up? Yeah. Yes. Um, the, the guy rolled off of the table half asleep um, and he had no pants on. <laughs> Nude. He had a shirt on, yes, but no, nothing from the waist down. And uh, just how, right in front of 30 people. How old? Uh, maybe 30-ish black man. Um, Nobody knew him. We'd never seen him before. Um, he sort of stood up, put his pants on, put his shoes on, and left. You know, and then the the woman woke up and started, like, packing up their camp while we continued to share things about our experiences, some of which included waking up on picnic tables. <laughs> at various points and you know somebody brought her a cup of coffee and um but like you can't make stuff like that up or you can but maybe you wouldn't did she seem troubled did she seem to be in a bad place the woman no just really slow moving you know not i mean she wasn't like she didn't speak to us she didn't say anything just kind of slowly went about packing up her stuff. And just for the, the, the sake of imagining better, understanding better, uh, how old would you say she was? Um, around the same age, maybe a little bit younger. Yeah. She was not naked? No, no. Fully dressed. You are listening to Troubadours and Rock on Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Do you think they were together? Well, he did come back. So there was a moment there where I was like, wow, what a jerk. You know, he's just going to leave her here. And then I was like, oh, maybe that was the plan. I don't know. You know, I don't know these people. But then... um he still left her to clean up, but um, he did come back, kind of waited on the outskirts, and then she kind of went down and met him, and they left. Um, but they also left a little container uh, with the Virgin Mary on it, and it had drugs inside. Wow. A kind that I had never seen before. <laughs> so you kind of had to ask people, like, is this what I think it is? You know? It was it like a sticker of the Virgin Mary or was it made? It was... No, it was, it was like a plastic container. But the, it looked like the Mary on it might have been metal or resin or something. But it was just like a small little keepsake box. 
That's that's interesting. Yeah, and somebody threw it away, and then we felt bad about it afterwards. Yeah, like what if it was her grandmother's? Right, and that was. I mean, it, right. it looked like a cheap trinket, and she left it behind. And there was a theory that maybe she left it on purpose because who who leaves their heroin <laughs> behind and packs up every other thing that they've got? Oh, you think it was heroin? Who does that? Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, which is one of the reasons, you know, it was thrown away. You don't want somebody finding that, like a child or something. No, but maybe you could have thrown the heroin away and left the container. Yeah. Yeah. We thought about it afterwards, but weird because it was, I mean, you know, people are homeless. I mean, I have obsession with it, you know, maybe we should have left it there. But then maybe it takes losing something symbolically. I don't know. It's, uh. You kind of just have to say this all happened for whatever reason it happened and not question it too much. But um, being in the front row to see what you know exists and see on TV or but not not like that, not up close and sharing the same space again, that we were part of their world for, you know, 45 minutes. And, And did you sense uh, or did you project? I don't know what the best way to look at it is. Uh, that they were living a bad life? Yeah. Because they were homeless and because mm-hmm. they were on heroin. Yeah, well, they had the pills on one side and the, the heroin on the other. Like, like it, you know, makeshift nightstands. Wow. You know, like, not, like I, you would think they would put it away. <laughs> right. I don't know. I would think that, but I don't know. Maybe they, they just fell asleep and didn't get a chance to put it. I don't know. Um, it's, one, it's like those details that you get out of real life that you just wouldn't know. Like they, like I said, there are things I've never seen before. You know they exist, but actually looking at it is different. So what do you come away with? Um, a, a really amazing first scene. <laughs> yeah. Which sounds terrible. No. But you, what do you do? Not use it? No, you should. You should. Do you have names for the characters? Do you have... I haven't gotten that far. No. But I, but I am working on a TV pilot where it would fit right in. So, and there's another nice segue. <laughs> exactly, it may be my first scene, which now I don't have to sit and stare at a blank screen trying to figure out how to write. I can just get started, and if I end up changing it later, then right now we're just doing uh, preparation work, so we have to write like premise statements and. Stuff like that. Monologues. But we will get to actual script writing soon, so. Yeah. That, I think that's a, a very uh, compelling opening scene. And you can go so many places with that. The backstory, where, you know, where they go from the table. Yeah. Uh, all of that. 
Yeah, the concept of, of the show is uh, a woman, almost 50, kids are grown up, she doesn't speak to them because um, she used to have a lot of problems sort of in recovery, sober for 10 years, let's say. Um, but then all these bad things happen to her in one week. She loses it. And uh, one of those bad things is that her mentor dies and leaves a note calling her out on her selfishness. Wow. And says, um, you know, it's time for you to stop being selfish and help other people. So after her life has basically blown up, she decides to go on the road and spend a year helping people. And who came up with this? So it's my, I did. You came <laughs> up with my, it. Yeah. It's a, my pilot for my show called Service. Service. And, and that, and, and, uh, and, and this, uh, the early stages of the pilot and, uh, it's my name? thesis project this semester, yeah. And you have a name for the character for the for those two characters, the, the female characters? Uh the female character is Daira. Um, but they call her Dare because it's people don't know how to pronounce it when they see it. Uh and her last name is Loden, like Barbara Loden, who made the movie Wanda. And 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 she's the selfish one. Yes. And then her, uh, her first stop, basically, to get gas, she meets a, a young woman who, like Wanda, um, leaves her children, her daughter. I don't know if she has, I haven't decided how many children she has. She might just have one. Uh, leaves her child with its father and takes off and is sort of a vagabond. And uh, Dare thinks, oh, I'm going to help this girl. She's going to be my first and then the girl ends up helping her. And uh, she's about 23, the same age as Dare's oldest daughter. And they sort of become partners on this road trip. And um, it's a very, both of these women, you know, the two different generations have trouble having relationships with other people. And so they sort of end up learning how to have a relationship with another person through each other on this strange road trip <laughs> uh, to help people for a year. So each place they go to, there's a new person that they help. And like, that's that episode. I like it. I like the premise. And uh, any of this coming from you and who you are and who you've known? Sure. I mean, where else does it come from? You, um, you, you fictionalize a lot of things. Some of it's just like fear projection or like, like what if all these bad things happened? <laughs> then what, you know, or so you, you make people up, you figure, Oh, she needs to get like a, a pickup truck truck in an old RV, like travel trailer that would be completely unsuited for her. So there needs to be a person who would own that. You know, so like you make somebody up. Um, and I, don't, I have a very good relationship with my daughters personally, but um, I can imagine, I mean, I know people who don't, you know, and that it's very haunting to them, even though they seem to go about their daily life. I can hear a cricket. I can hear a cricket. Yeah. 
No, this is great. I'm very compelled by all of it, Kitty Bell. We're talking just about done with our with this segment, believe it or not, Kitty Bell. We're talking with uh, our regular contributor, Kitty Bell Burbank, and uh, she's out for a walk in the west side. <laughs> of yeah, town. I think there's a place for a you know a show where it has a a kind of positive. I mean, you don't see people helping people enough. I think it's something that you see it on little videos on Facebook, but it doesn't go into depth or detail or, um, I think there's a way to do it. That's not cheesy, you know, that's not, um, going to turn people off. And I think it's healing. So we'll see what happens. Well, I'm rooting for you, and I look forward to hearing how it develops, Kitty Bell. And I do, of course, appreciate you talking with us once again here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Uh, a lot of people enjoy your segment, and um, I think we, we, we have another great one here. So thanks again. Thanks. Thank you. Enjoy the rest of your walk. I will. It's starting to drizzle a little bit. It feels good. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Take care. Okay, you too. Trouble is you gotta have yourself 
an alternate plan and I have earned my disillusionment I have been working all of my life and I am a patriot I have been fighting the good fight and what if there are no damsels in distress what if I knew that and I called your bluff don't you think every kid figures out how to get down whether or not you ever show up An essay written in 1965 titled Guaymas Sonora. It had rained in Los Angeles until the cliff was crumbling into the surf and I did not feel like getting dressed in the morning, so we decided to go to Mexico or Guaymas where it was hot. We did not go for Marlin, we did not go to skin dive. We went to get away from ourselves and the way to do that is to drive down through Nogales, some day when the pretty green places pall and all that will move the imagination is some place difficult, some desert. The desert, any desert, is indeed the valley of the shadow of death. Come back from the desert and you will feel like Alcestis, reborn. After Nogales on Route 15, there is nothing but the Sonoran Desert, nothing but mesquite and rattlesnakes and the Sierra Madre floating to the east. No trace of human endeavor but an occasional Pemex truck hurtling north and once in a while in the distance. The dusty Pullman cars of the Ferrocarril del Pacifico. Magdalena is on Route 15 and then Hermosillo where the American ore and cattle buyers gather in the bar at the Hotel San Alberto. There is an airport in Hermosillo, and Hermosillo is only 85 miles above Guaymas. But to fly is to miss the point. The point is to become disoriented, shriven by the heat and the deceptive perspectives and the oppressive sense of carrion. The road shimmers, the eyes want to close, and then, just past that moment when the desert has become the only reality, Route 15 hits the coast and there is Guaymas, a lunar thrust of volcanic hills and islands with the warm Gulf of California lapping idly all around, lapping even at the cactus, the water glassy as a mirage, the ships in the harbor whistling unsettlingly, 
moaning, ghost schooners landlocked, lost. That is Guamas. As far as the town goes, Graham Greene might have written it, a shadowy square with the filigree paragola for the Sunday band, a racket of birds, a cathedral in bad repair with a robin's egg blue tile dome, a turkey buzzard on the cross. The wharves are piled with bales of sonoran cotton and mounds of dark copper concentrates. Out on the freighters with the Panamanian and Liberian flags, the Greek and German boys stand in the hot twilight and stare sullenly at the grotesque and claustrophobic hills, at the still town, a curious limbo at which to call. Had we really been intent upon losing ourselves, we might have stayed in town at a hotel where faded and broken turquoise blue shutters open onto the courtyard where old men sit in the doorways and nothing moves. But instead we stayed outside town, at the Playa de Cortez, the big old hotel built by the Southern Pacific before the railways were nationalized. That place was a mirage too, lovely and cool with thick whitewashed walls and dark shutters and bright tiles, tables made from ebony railroad ties, pale, appliqued, muslin curtains, shocks of corn wrapped around the heavy beams. Pepper trees grew around the swimming pool and lemons and bananas in the courtyard. The food was unremarkable, but after dinner, one could lie in a hammock on the terrace and listen to the fountains and the sea. For a week, we lay in hammocks and fished desultorily and went to bed early and got very brown and lazy. My husband caught eight sharks, and I read an oceanography textbook, and we did not talk much. At the end of the week, we wanted to do something, but all there was to do was visit the tracking station for an old space program, or go see John Wayne and Claudia Cardinal in Circus World, and we knew it was time to go home.
17 and she was fresh in town. I didn't know a state line ran from hell. She had a raven hair, a ruffle dress, a necklace made of gold. All the French perfume you'd care to smell. She took me up into the room, whispered in my ear. Won't my friend do anything you choose? Now I'm playing for those happy hours I've been there in her arms Lifetime's worth of the Mexicali blue Yeah Is there anything a man don't stand to lose? When the devil wants to take it all away Tell us where he falls Keep it tight and bones Cause thinking and drinking are all I have today was waiting when he came She told me he would take her If I didn't use my gun I'd have no one but myself to blame I went down to those dusty streets What was on my mind I guess that stranger hadn't heard the news Cause I shot first and killed him Though he didn't even draw And he made me trade the gallows For the Mexicali Marquez, he dog, sits with eyes half open, four feet from me, in the sunlight beaming through a window above the two of us, as I sit on a plastic box and read this piece into a microphone. I have faith he will be there still when I am done breathing life into this rather eloquent sentence, for he is Marquez and I am Lawrence. Take to be 
And there you have it, episode 285 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our regular contributor, Kitty Bell Burbank. I'd like to thank the great essayist Joan Didion and these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, America, Davochka, Annie DeFranco, El Buscapes, The Grateful Dead, Dr. Dog, Terrence Blanchard, and Branford Marsalis, too. Until next week, enjoy this one. Thanks again for listening. Ciao.